Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another Work Human Radio. I'm your host, Mike Wood. I hope you're all having a fantastic week. We have a great interview for you today. Sarah Payne connected with Jacqueline Carter of The Potential Project. She's spoken at past Work Human Live events, this past one in Nashville, and I believe at the one a couple of years ago in Phoenix. But she's the author of The Mind of the Leader, which is our book of the month in the Work Human Book Club. If you like to read, you should join us on Facebook at the Work Human Book Club, and we go through a different book each month and do a Facebook Live interview with the author. It's a great community on there that's growing fast. So here's a sneak peek into the mind of the leader with Sarah Payne and Jacqueline Carter. Enjoy. So Jacqueline, first, I just wanted to thank you for joining us on Work Human Radio. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It's great to be here. So just for our listeners, I just thought we could start with a bit of background and what initially brought you to the mindfulness space? Yes. So my background, I have a master's in organizational behavior and change, and I worked in the corporate space for many, many years and loved it. What I found, and I think that this could probably relate to many of the listeners out there, is that it's tough being in the corporate world today. There's so much change. There's so much disruption. And what I found, and this was many, many years ago, early on in my career, was that my daily practice of mindfulness really helped me to be more focused, more calm, and more clear-minded. But that was over 20 years ago, and there was no way that I was going to tell anybody that in my spare time, I like to sit on uncomfortable cushions and count my breath for extended periods of time. (laughs) And things have changed, you know, and what really brought me to, so for me, my entry into mindfulness was very much personally to be able to perform at my best. And what I found, and this was really a number of years ago, is I really started to see more and more of my colleagues burning out and struggling with their own issues. And I actually felt guilty that I had these tools that I had learned and had helped me stay calm and clear and focused. And honestly, through my own feelings of my own ego, I was actually too shy to be able to bring those into the world. And at that point, I was able to connect with Potential Project. And, you know, we're a global organization that brings mindfulness into corporations. And for me, it was just this amazing opportunity to be able to bring something that I personally was so passionate about to be able to bring more benefit to more organizations around the world. And how long had you been practicing meditation before you brought it to the corporate world? I'm just curious. Ah, well, I started, so I said, over 20 years ago, and it has been such an amazing journey. There's many different aspects of mindfulness and meditation, and I've had the privilege of being able to enjoy many Many, many teachers, and I just want to do a little shout out of great gratitude to the experience that I've had and the teachings that I've been able to receive. But what's really interesting is the practices that we introduce into the workplace and also that I do practice on a daily basis are very much designed to be practical in the boardroom or when you're having a tough conversation with a colleague. And so keeping them very simple but very applied to -to day-to-day work. And so you mentioned Potential Project. You actually co-wrote this month's Work Human Book Club book called The Mind of the Leader with Rasmus. So as you were researching the book, what surprised you most about the findings? 
Yeah, so first of all, just to give you some context, it was basically the book is the result of a two and a half year research study. We assessed over 35,000 leaders from 72 countries. We interviewed over 250 C-suite executives, and we also reached out to many of our global clients, including Cisco and Microsoft and Ikea and Lego and many more. And the whole thing was really to find out what are the challenges that leaders are facing today and what are the core qualities that are going to help leaders to be able to be successful in the 21st century. And what was interesting is we also partnered with Harvard Business Review, just an amazing partner, and it was actually through them that we were able to access and survey so many leaders beyond just our own networks. And originally, what Harvard wanted us to do was just write a book on mindful leadership. And that had been, you know, that's been our specialization, as I mentioned, with Potential Project for over the past decade. What was so interesting, I love your question, what was so interesting is through the research, what we heard again and again from the leaders that we interviewed, and these are C-suite executives talking about their ego and talking about how important it was to keep their ego in check. And that was really surprising to us because it wasn't something that we were originally planning to write about, but it kept on coming up. And then what was so interesting is not only about how to not let your own ego get in the way of you being the best leader, but also how critical it was to bring compassion into organizations. And Mm -hmm. so those were things that were really surprising, but also really encouraging to see how these human qualities of recognizing how we need to be more selfless, not only more mindful, that's the starting point, but to be able to be more selfless and compassionate, how critical that is for all of us as human beings and definitely for us as leaders. It's definitely interesting because you think the typical leaders may be a little bit egocentric. Uh, Maybe that's how they got to the top, but it's interesting that that came out in the research that they are aware of their ego and that minimizing that is the key to success. Well, Sarah, it's so interesting that what you just said, because absolutely, and what we were able to tease out, because that was actually our question as well, is that, you know, and there's lots of studies that suggest, you know, how important it is to be able to know yourself well and present yourself well. And what we saw was there's a big difference between having self-confidence and being selfish and arrogant. And to be able to tease those out, and it's actually a really interesting journey for us all as leaders, because... Of course, it's important for me to be able to say, you know, I have some skills, I know what I'm bringing to the table, and to be able to have that confidence. But if that tips into the point where I think I'm better than everybody else, I have nothing to learn, I can't take feedback, I am now no good to myself, let alone to my team and my organization. And something that's also top of mind for leaders is motivating their teams, motivating individuals. So based on your research, how do the best leaders approach motivation? Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the foundational questions that we were looking at, how to motivate people, how to engage people, especially as we all know in today's world where talent wins. You know, top talent can work from their living room for any company in the world. So if you want to attract the best talent, you need to be able to make sure that you're motivating them and engaging them. And what we really found was how critical it was to be able to create a very people-centric organization. So organizations that really do put people at the center of their strategy And what we found was that, you know, most organizations will say, you know, we value our people and we'll have values around that. But what we really saw is in terms specifically of motivating people is when there's tough decisions, when things get difficult, are people really at the center of your strategy and do you really take care of your people? And just to give an example of that, one of the C-suite executives, Arnie Sorensen, that we interviewed, he is the CEO of Marriott International, and they now have, with a recent 
integration of Starwood, they now have over 750,000 employees around the globe. And their business strategy, this is not their HR strategy, their business strategy is if we take care of our people, they will take care of our guests and business will take care of itself. And what was so interesting is this is, as I said, it's not their HR strategy, it's their business philosophy. And they really believe that supporting and motivating and engaging and taking care of their people is the foundation to be able to enable business success. And what we talked about, and it was so interesting, was, you know, tell us some examples of, you know, okay, that sounds really nice. Who wouldn't agree? You know, of course, you want to take care of your people. But Arnie gave us some examples of situations where, you know, things were tough and tough decisions had to be made. And again and again, even from the board of directors and the shareholders, how critical it was for them to make sure that they were focusing on their people first. I think that's a great point that you mentioned that it's not just an HR strategy because if it's only HR pushing an initiative, it might fall flat. You know, really need that executive level support. Exactly. And I think it's also the other thing that we really saw is that so many organizations are really, I would say, struggling with, you know, the short-term focus and quarterly results and oftentimes feeling forced to make decisions based on, you know, this quarter. And how challenging that is because, of course, a lot of strategies around people and even around business, we need to have a longer-term focus. And that means sometimes, you know, this quarter isn't going to be good because we're making investments here that will be for the longer-term gain. And so that was one of the other things that we really saw is this idea of pushing back on, of course, shareholder wealth is important, but also placing employee health. Because if your employees aren't healthy and happy and motivated, your shareholders aren't going to get the returns, not long-term. And so how important it exactly, as you say, this has to be a business strategy, not just a nice thing from those nice people in HR. <laughs> well, I mean, something that we talk a lot about on the blog and on this podcast is recognition and reward. Obviously, you know, we, as a company, that's our bread and butter. Thinking about how you approach leadership with mindfulness, is there a way that companies can be more mindful in the way that they recognize and reward their people? Oh, absolutely. And I think the two go so hand in hand because, of course, recognition and reward is so important. And what we find, though, is that if we are not present with our people, and that's really what mindfulness is all about, it's really being truly present. Number one, we won't necessarily see the great things they're doing. We'll miss those opportunities to celebrate. This went, you know, nothing went wrong today. I should recognize somebody for that because that's a good thing to celebrate. <laughs> You know, I think what we know is we as human beings and we as leaders, oftentimes the reason why we're successful is being able to point out all the things that went wrong. And so being more present and being more mindful about noticing the things that went well and celebrating people's success, I think, is foundational to be able to help to motivate people. But I think the other aspect of that is I think that reward and recognition are also really about being able to be human and really make those human connections. And I think oftentimes, you know, reward and recognition, like, and not to put anything against employee of the month, but sometimes that can feel somewhat forced. You know, it's like, well, we've got to put someone's picture on the wall this month and who's it going to right. be? And I think that one of the things that bringing this more human focus, which of course is such a fundamental part of work, human and the reward and recognition programs that you do, 
But I think that that's why it's a meaningful recognition because I see you human to human and I recognize you because I recognize the value that you're bringing to the organization. And from our perspective, the ability to be able to be present, to be able to tune into yourself, to be able to tune into the other person and really with great kindness and great care. And it's not about me. It's really about you and what you bring to the organization. I think that those are really the qualities that enable of course, people want to be recognized, but it enables it to actually have incredible meaning and incredible impact. I love what you're saying about you know, being more human in the way we recognize and reward people. And just reminds me, I, I have a colleague on my team that wrote a post about the power of story. And I think, you know, weaving story into how you recognize you know, people is really important, too, because it brings to life that appreciation in a whole new way, in a more powerful way. Well, absolutely. And I think the cool thing, too, is about recognition and stories when it's done well, is that what we know is from a neurological perspective is that when you recognize me, when you say, you know, when you you recognize me, that makes me feel good. But also somebody watching and observing that and hearing that story, it also makes them feel good because it makes them feel, well, this is a culture that really values people. So that there's a real win-win-win in terms of being able to celebrate those successes, say what's valuable in our culture, and tell stories about it. Absolutely. Yes. I think they call that the witness effect. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. You, you got the technical term. Yep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so something else we also talk about a lot on this podcast is performance management, and a big part of that is feedback. So for our listeners, is there one tip that you can share for people leaders that want to be more mindful in delivering feedback? Yeah, I think that one thing is, well, if I only got one tip, because that's what you said. So if I only get one, what I would say is make giving feedback a fundamental part of your culture. So as opposed to it being something that happens, you know, either once or twice a year as part of an annual performance cycle, if me giving you feedback and you giving me feedback is a way that we know that we're going to grow, we're going to learn, we're all going to be able to perform better. And it actually just becomes a natural part of our culture that it's a kind thing. I mean, if I think about it, the way that I've been able to be successful in my career is through people who were kind enough to tell me when I was doing something that wasn't helpful or could be better. Mm -hmm. And so I think the more that we can just make it part of, hey, I care about you. I care about your performance. And I'd really like to share with you something that I think might be able to be instructive for you in terms of helping you even be better at at your work or your role or your contribution. So I think for me, it's really about making it part of the culture. And that to me would be my one tip. Mm -hmm. The last thing I like to ask all of our work human speakers is just to you, what is a human workplace? Sorry, what is a more human workplace? Yes. I think a more human workplace is where we can bring more of our true selves, more of our full potential to the workplace. And I think that what's really both exciting and I think also very challenging for leaders and for organizations today is that's not how a lot of us were taught of good leadership, good management. It wasn't about enabling people to bring their emotions to work. We are emotional beings and that has wonderful qualities. Emotion brings us passion, brings us a sense of purpose. And I think that if we allow ourselves to be able to celebrate our humanity and allow ourselves, it enables ourselves to be able to be more connected with each other, to be able to be more creative, to be able to also deal with the challenges that we all face work, as I said, you know, disruption and change that we're all experiencing, but to be able to take better care of each other. You know, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to find things difficult. 
But again, by being more human with each other, we can help each other and support each other and enable us all to be able to be more successful. I love that. I totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline. I really appreciate the conversation and I learned a lot. Well, thank you, Sarah. It's always wonderful to be a participant in all of the activities, all the great work that you guys do at Work Human. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at Work Human March 18th through the 21st in Nashville. Visit workhuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2019. 